it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. Sometimes we make decisions with our kids on how we think our kids are going to feel in the first 10 minutes versus thinking about 10 months or 10 years. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience that person. Yeah. Here are your hosts. David and Danita Bailey. Well, welcome to School Days, Help for Moms and Dads of School Age Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. And I'm David Bailey. And today we're going to be talking about special education. We've had quite a few episodes about special education because of our own journey with our kids. School Days really started because of our journey with SPED. Yeah, so when we, a few years back, we were... Um, this same well, I guess we can go back a few years ago. We had uh, noticed when our child was younger that you know, there's the way he was processing things and the way he was um, responding. We was like, hmm, there's something going on here, but we really weren't quite sure. Um, and from my classroom experience and working with students, um, we you know were curious as to find out what was going on with him. So we um, had him evaluated uh, privately. And um, we had discovered that he was on the autism spectrum. Um, and then we had moved schools. And when he had entered the new school, um, we had notified them of um, his needs. And we had a interesting journey of um, <laughs> them telling us that what... That we, he was not autistic. Yeah, yeah, that what we saw was not true. <laughs> and so we had to learn how to advocate uh, for our for our son and so it's been an um, interesting journey and then you know with uh, he's also gifted and talented as well and uh, we had to advocate for um, going beyond the standard district evaluations of uh, gifted and talented to keep on pressing and so um, we went through one evaluation and said no he's not sorry he said no I'll test him again try a different one then they come back no well sorry see he's not I said, no 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 trust him again so test him a third time. No, said, no, no, no. Test him one more time. On the fourth time, he hit the 98th percentile of gifted and talented. And, uh, you know, if we wouldn't have advocated for him, um, he would not be receiving those services either. And so um, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, and advocating for our child, our children, really. We have two, one with a 504 plan and one with an IEP, which is something we'll explain later on. Um but it was really difficult. And you know, David and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay, we're both in education and this is really hard for us. And we can only imagine, um, you know, the demographic that we serve with the foundation, um, um, underserved kids and um, just how much even more difficult it must be for them. You know, we feel like we're pretty connected. We know a lot of educators. We know several people in special education. One of my closest friends is a behavioral therapist. And it still was, with all their advice, really, really difficult. And, you know, we were on somebody else's podcast at some point and um, asked if we wanted to start our own podcast. And we were kind of thinking through what would be a good platform to um, help parents with this journey of education and specifically for us at the time it was special education and we kind of had thought I don't know if it's going to be a blog or something like that but then when we were asked if we wanted to do our own podcast it was like oh this is the perfect thing 
Not that I wanted to do a podcast. Yeah, let's, let's get the record straight. <laughs> I was all in from day one. I said, let's go. Let's get it. She's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, what the Lord has to say. We, 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 I knew this was kind of where our, our spot was going to be when it was brought to us. Uh, it took her about another week and a half. And uh, and then finally she said, oh, you know what? I think that we should start a podcast. I think the Lord is leading us to do this. Yeah. And so and I was like, why do you need to pray about something that you know you're called to do? <sighs> That's a whole different thing. Yeah. So anyway, but here we are. Yes. 90, what? One, This two, is number 90. 90. This is our 90th episode. Yeah. So uh, here we are, and we're grateful for the journey and for... Um, those of you that listen to us, and um, and uh, we're just going to keep on rolling. Yeah. So today what we're doing is we're welcoming three moms who have children in the special education program at our schools. And when our son first entered into this bed program, friends who had gone before us provided a wealth of knowledge and much needed comfort when we knew nothing. And I wanted to invite these moms on to share their experiences and wisdom with our audience in hopes that they can do the same thing for those parents who are new to SPED. Um, here is a note, though. Um, we do have an episode with SPED experts, special education experts, called The One About Services and Accommodations that we recorded in the first season of our show that explains the entire process from requesting an evaluation to obtaining the services your child needs. So that's going to be more specific and, um, you know, and probably something that you want to, if you also want to listen to if you're new. So check out that expert uh, that uh, that episode about expert advice. But before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your Facebook, wait, share it with your parent friends. I see I'm going to have to already oh, redo this. Pretty much. <laughs> Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in and add the hashtag school days show or hashtag I am school days. Um, so let's let's go ahead and jump right in and welcome our guests. So uh, we're going to start with Shelly Scraver. Tell us your name, which I just did, and <laughs> your child's name. Actually, spell it. <laughs> yeah, I get it all the time. Please spell that. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Shelly Scraver. Um, I'm a mom of four. I have fourth grader, sixth grader, seventh grader, ninth grader. My sixth grader has um, special needs. He has uh, nonverbal autism. He is in exclusive special ed classes since we adopted him at age six. Uh, my seventh grader, she is in general ed classes, um, but she has been diagnosed with inattentive ADD and um, auditory and, and visual processing. So she does have an IEP um, with an accommodated um, assignment test. Um, she does have a pullout where they, um, a teacher takes her once a week to go over assignments and, um, and they're both in public school. All right. Thanks, Shelly. Thanks so much for joining us. And Shelly is a friend of the show. She's been on quite a few times. She's hosted with me and she's been a guest. So we love having Shelly on. Uh, Nicole, next up. Hi, I'm Nicole Massey and I have a seven-year-old who's in the first grade who has ADHD and emotional disturbance. Um, he was adopted from foster care when he was 22 months. And so we've had him since then. And, um, he currently has um, an IEP, is in general education uh, classes, but does have pullouts during the day. He does all of his work virtually right now, but he does still have um, 
one-on-one -on -one time with uh, with an inclusion teacher. All right. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks so much. And Bree. Bree Lindsay. Hi, I'm, I'm Bree Lindsay. I have two daughters in special education. Uh, my first daughter has cerebral palsy. She's in third grade. She started out with general education with pullout, um, but that wasn't good enough for me. So now she's all curriculum where she's in special education all day. And then I have Sasha, she's going to seventh grade and she started out with the 504 plan and that wasn't good enough for me either. So now she's in special education all day in a program called ABLE for kids with autism. All right, awesome. I already love the way you're talking, Bree. That wasn't good enough for me. Yeah. That sounds like a mom who is all about advocating for their child. And that's that's really what this whole episode is about is we've all in on different levels had to advocate for our students, our children, and um, you know, sometimes that can be a rocky road. And having yeah. some people who are veterans and have gone that way um are, you know, are um just a wealth of information. So thank you guys. So for parents that are new to SPED, let's do a quick definition of terms that might come up. Um, first of all, um, idea. David, you want to say what that is? It's over here. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> okay. So, um, this law gives eligible children with disabilities the right to receive special services and assistance in school. And there are 13 categories of special education as defined by IDEA that can qualify uh, a child for special education, including autism, blindness, emotional disturbance, trauma, brain disorder, and several more. Yeah, so IDEA is the Individuals with Disabilities Act. Um, an ARD, which is also referred to as an IEP meeting. Um, and then there's the ARD or the IEP team. So you and at least one regular education teacher, a special ed teacher or teachers, and a representative from the school, which in my case has usually been the assistant principal, your child, and um, when appropriate, any diagnostician and things like that. So you are a part of that team. Um, along with a lot of other school officials. officials. And then uh, what's an IEP, Dave? So that's an individualized education program. And this is a written document that describes the educational program designed to meet a child's individual needs. So every child who receives special education must have an IEP. The IEP has two general purposes. One, to set learning and behavioral goals for your child. And two, to state the supports and services that the school district will provide for your child. Okay. And then um, last is the 504. It comes from Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, which protects the rights of people with disabilities and organizations that receive federal funding. So a 504 plan, and you might hear that, is an educational plan that is written for a student who needs modifications or accommodations within the regular classroom environment. So uh, like uh, Nicole said, and uh, I think Brie, ADHD is one of those. Psychological disorders such as anxiety and depression and physical disorders fall under the 504. All right, ladies. So if you would tell us about your first experiences with the SPED program. I can go first. Um, my first experience, I have two separate entities because I have a daughter who has cerebral palsy, so she's face value, it is what it is, a special education. Um, and that was pretty much, it was 
everything was given to me uh, that was even possible for her due to her condition. Um, but again, when going in, you don't know that there's so much they have to offer. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, here's your uh, IEP, here's everything, just sign here, and this is what's going to happen. And that was my first experience uh, with art. What, so when you say everything was offered to you, what, what does that mean? Um, she has cerebral palsy, so she'll be able to have um, extra minutes in class or additional time at lunch or less time in PE. Um, everything that they want to give you, everything that they wanted to offer to her was given. But as a parent, you don't know that there's so much more to be given. You're just pretty much given everything that they want to give you mm. at the time. It's already written out. Um, you don't understand that you're supposed to have the a copy of everything you're going to go over in the art five days before it's due. So you're kind of just in the meeting. You're there. They give you all the paperwork you need. They go through it, and it's just like pretty much sign here, <laughs> and you know you go forward. And that's you know my first experience with that situation. Um, with Sasha. It was pretty much, um, she's extremely difficult in her case. We started out with 504, and um, then we went on to special education. Um, with her, it's been a fight ever since with her. And, you know, by this time, I've had experience. So when I'm going in with Sasha, I know more, and now I'm ready. So when the art is over, it's like, no, I'm not signing. This isn't right. We're going to go back to the drawing board. And, you know, the dietitian who is, I call them your arch nemesis, the dietitian. They, the diagnostic. I'm sorry. Diagnostician. Yes. yes, I had an appointment earlier with the dietitian for my daughter. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're pretty much they write everything out. You know, they tell all the therapists, the teachers what what should be done, and you know they pretty much stick to it. So when you come in, you're kind of bombarded with all this data um, that isn't in your favor or your kid's favor. And so I've never had a good experience going into an art meeting ever. Wow. Wow. You know, and I'll just say as being a teacher coming in, we're, we just, we're there just to share our observations. You know, we're not allowed to make any diagnosis. We can't say Mm -hmm. just by law, we cannot say, "Mm, I think your child has this or, you know, something's going on here. All we can say is here's what I have observed in the classroom. And to that extent, that's all we do. Um, And it's a, it's an army of people coming into a meeting with the parent. And a lot of times they're doing all this teacher talk and, and education jargon that mm-hmm. parents don't have a clue. I barely know myself and I've been teaching for over 10 years. <laughs> like, yeah. And they're using every acronym you could think of. Right. Right. Yeah. ABC and EFG and WHY and, you know, and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and it can be intimidating, you know, especially, you know, and, and you think that they're the experts. Um, and so it's very, very uh, interesting. Just the things that you were saying, just being on the other side of the table, um, you know, now that, you know, we have gone through that with our children ourselves, it's very eye opening. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because as a parent, you're very naive going in because you assume they have your child's best interest because they're educators and they go into the field with children and you just assume, you know, it's all love, but it's, it's not that <laughs> <laughs> not not always at least <laughs> not always yeah right uh nicole yeah i would say my first experience with special education was reluctancy um because you know my son has adhd and um i assumed that special education was surrounding kids that had um learning 
disabilities or a problem uh, learning. And my son wasn't having a problem with learning. He's having behavior issues. And every single day we were coming up to the school and there were major, major uh, behavior issues that were happening on a day-to-day -day basis. And we were at our wit's end and the solution that was presented was, you know, can we test him for special education? And I didn't understand why. Why would he need to be tested for special education when we're having behavior issues? And I didn't understand that special education services exist beyond just um, learning issues, but also extend into behavior issues and behavior management strategies and things like that. And I had no idea about that. So I was very, very reluctant at first. And, and I had in my mind a connotation about what special education meant. And I didn't want him to have a label that would follow him through his life. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of reluctancy. Yeah. Initially. Yeah. Shelly. Um, my, my first one, my first kind of season was, uh, with, uh, my son and, um, who's in sixth grade now, but when he was six, uh, we, we got into the special ed program. Uh, I had no clue. I, I didn't even have a friend that I knew mm -hmm. that had a kid with autism. I was clueless. I had a, that, that I was going to adopt him and homeschool him and, uh, his challenges were so much greater than I could handle that I needed the public school of um, support. Um, but unfortunately uh, they were, I don't know, it, it was, just, uh, I, I don't, I heard incompetent because they were great people, but that doesn't always mean that they were qualified to, to handle and um, his challenges. And um, I, I, I didn't know how to advocate for him. Um, I had wanted him to have a talking board um, for his communication iPad and, um, they were against it. Um, so that went on for about two years until finally I just um, took him to a, a day center for autism and um, took him out of public school. Um, then we moved to uh, Midlothian, which is South Dallas, um, into a very reputable um, special ed. There can be reputable schools and, and also reputable schools with great reputable special education departments. And this was one of them. Um, and they have been great to work with, very knowledgeable. They, I mean, they're just very quick with the communication. Um, the first month we were there, they're like, why doesn't he have a iPad? He can't talk. Hmm. And we're, I was just like, exactly. I thought I was the bad guy for like, the, the theory was everybody is coming from a different theory. And unfortunately, because with autism, there's Google autism and your brain will, will melt out of your ears. <laughs> um, but their theory was he would never learn to talk. And I'm like, well, he's six and he doesn't talk. And so by that time he was um, eight and still no talking. And mm -hmm. um, we were doing pictures and, they, you know, just uh, aggravated. And so uh, that opened us up to a, a whole new world of, oh, my child has receptive language. He is understanding. He could tell me now what he wants. Mm. Um, and so that was amazing. So the, they've been great to work with and um, not without problems, um, um, but um, with the challenges that my son has um, and my daughter. My daughter's kind of in a gray area of, um, well, I'm not sure what, you know, how, how to help her sometimes. And um, so um, just learned how to... Um, learned kind of through trial and error with this but um the last part of the special ed um uh, uh, 
experience has been uh, pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Um, the IDEA law requires that students with disabilities are taught w- with non-disabled peers as much as possible. You'll hear um, administrators call that the least restrictive environment. Special ed is so broad. It goes from, you know, ADHD that Nicole's talking about to, you know, um, autism and, and things like that, that can be more severe. So what kind of environment, um, Shelly, I know you said that um, your son is in special ed classes all day, so he's not in like the general population. So how, how, how is that for you guys? What type of learning environment are you in? Uh, with him, he has um, the intelligence of about a three-year-old. He, he does have behavior problems. Um, we're in a great season right now, so it's, it's hard for me to bring up the past and talk about, but we've had some serious um, problems of him um, running away from school even. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it's been it, it's been challenging. So there was no other option for us but to have him um, in an exclusive um, uh, uh, classroom where he has aids and resources and sim- motor rooms, things like that, readily available for him. And so it's it's been a pretty good experience. Um, and especially now, he's, he's in middle school, and um, he has the most resources he's ever had um, in this new middle school. And it, it's been a, a great year for us. Mm-hmm. And Nicole and Bree, am I right in saying you guys, your children are in general pop? Is that what you guys said? Yeah. Population. Yeah. No, yeah. My son is. Uh, no, one of my daughters is alternative curriculum, and that's special ed all day long. They okay. only leave out the classroom for lunch, and then they come back into the classroom. It's like her and eight other kids uh, with special needs. Okay. Uh, my sixth grader is going into seventh grade. She does specials. She gets pulled out for specials, so that's art, uh, PE, and to eat. Then she goes back to a, um, it's called ABLE, for kids with autism and things of that nature, where they learn all day in that one classroom. Okay, good. So one of the things we've, we all have said in common is that we were clueless <laughs> with our, our first ARD. Um, I remember being called to our first ARD uh, with Jonathan. He, ha- he was getting speech services because he didn't um, speak until he was three. Well, he did, but we, nobody understood what he was saying. <laughs> he was unintelligible. So he was getting um, services at home and then he was getting out, outpatient, not outpatient. What is it called when you go and get services at the school? Um, speech therapy yeah speech therapy but he was not actually enrolled in the school yet this was pre-k basically or before pre-k and then when he got into um, kindergarten uh, then they said well we need to call you for an ARD because basically they wanted to dismiss him from speech services because they said he was a-okay and (laughs) I felt a different way but I was like first of all what is an ARD I don't even know what this is and I kind of you know I felt I felt ill-prepared and um, they called me in there and told me we're dismissing him from the program because he's fine. And I said, well, he's still very difficult to understand. Well, I mean, we can understand him, but um, I don't think he's ready. And they were like, it's okay. <laughs> so what I want to know is what would you recommend to parents who are in that position where they're preparing to attend their first ARD? How do you prepare for that? Nicole, you took your... You're quick on the button. You took yourself off mute first. <laughs> yeah, I would say um, do your research. Um, one of the, you know, I think everyone has said over and over again, there's a lot of acronyms that are being used. You're going to walk into, at least at the art that we went into, it was my 
husband and I walked in and there were, I'm going to say 10 people from the school that were there. So we were severely numbered. So you feel a little bit intimidated just sitting around the table and it's just you two and then all these other people. Um, But one of the things that I had learned along the way, because we kind of have a long story longer than what this program could probably allow, (laughs) but a long story where he went to another school first. And through that school, I learned how to become his advocate. And so... I had to get a voice for him and realize, um, and I think Bree mentioned it, um, even if a teacher does have love for him or even if an administrator or a school loves him, they don't know your child like you know them. You know every nuance about them. So I would say, do your research. Don't be afraid to be the voice, even if you don't know know the acronyms and know the things that are being said, you know your kid. And nobody else in that room knows your kid like you do. And um, so don't be afraid to use your voice and, and to be an advocate and to speak up and to come with some ideas of things that have already worked. Strategies of behavior management, of learning resources and tools that you know work at home mm. or you know work in other environments. Come with those ready. So those are those are a few things for me. I remember the very first meeting we had, which was not an ARD, but it was meeting with the school counselor and the teacher. Um, we came in to meet and to talk about behavior. And I came in with a list of 20 things that I knew worked. And they were like, <laughs> okay, well, let's go through that list. And that that list was the meeting. Yep. So my quite, you know, I was kind of wondering, well, had I not come up with this list, what were we going to talk about? Yes. Um, you know, and so, you know, just having those things um, and I think it also helped them to know that we mean business and that we're, we're here for our son. We're not, um, you know, going to just take your word for it. Right. So I think it made a difference for the school. Yeah. I would definitely say, um, make sure you request a copy of the IEP before you go into the meeting so you can go over all the ideas and thoughts that the teachers have that they're going to recommend so you can go in and say, no, this doesn't work for my child. Can we add to this or why are we doing this? That way, when you're in the meeting, they just don't bombard you with all the recommendations and you really don't have input uh, just the way they give it to you. You feel like you don't have any options. So I always ask before time. So like Nicole would say, you can come in with your own ideas added to theirs and make it a better plan for your child. Who, real quick before Shelley answers that question, who was diagnosed by the school and who was diagnosed independently? Or whose child? Nicholas was diagnosed independently. Mine was actually um, diagnosed by the school. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both of mine were diagnosed independently. Okay. Um, what would you, Bree, then suggest that a parent ask for in, uh, in advance if the school is going through the diagnostic period, because there's not already going to be an IEP set up. So some, maybe that art is going to be the, um, the meeting where they discuss the fact that we're seeing some, some things and we want to evaluate your child for this. Yeah. Um, are you talking about before they give you the, the data they collected off your child? This is uh, we, you have either asked for an evaluation or they mm-hmm. are requesting that we evaluate your child for something. And so we're setting up an ARD to 
to basically get permission to do that. Okay. Yeah, that'll be pretty much um, just trying to be resourceful. Like mm-hmm. when you first, when you're first going in, you have nothing. Like <laughs> you know, like you don't know any parents really. If you think about it, when you first go to special ed, you don't know any other parents like in your tribe that has any kind of experience with special education. So your first meeting is pretty much trial and error. And like Nicole said, you have to have resources and just try to come in with a list of things because the first initial meeting, okay, so you can call for an art whenever you want to. So the initial meeting you have before the art, just have in mind, okay, whatever they give me, this is going to be the rough draft. And I'm going to request, as I do research and get different kind of resources, I'm going to request another art in, I don't know, a month or two with all the data I have to make it a better plan for my child. Because the first meeting is, yeah, you don't have a chance. Not the first time. <laughs> Did you say you, you don't have a don't. chance? You honestly don't. No. Yeah. So just go in knowing, hey, okay, this is the first art. I can call an, an art whenever I want to. So in two months, I'll look at this. We'll look at the data ourselves as a parent. And then we'll go back and call it art and start all over again. That's Cons- going to be the best option. Consider that first art your dress rehearsal <laughs> for the real thing. <laughs> I will say, I just wanted to kind of just jump in real quick. My first art was actually really good. Really? Um, so I, I do want to just say that, you know, I think it may depend upon the school or, you know, the student or different things like that. Um, because we had had so many behavior issues that had been just explosive throughout the year. By, you know, by the time the art came, I was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, thank God, <laughs> you know, because we were, we were kind of getting somewhere and being able to have some resolution. And um, by the time, also by the time that art came, the administrators, the students, the the teachers, everybody in the school knew who my son was <laughs> and had interacted with him at some level. Um, and so they they had a very good idea about who he was and were really collaborative in nature. So it was very, very collaborative um, meeting. I did not feel like they were talking at us, but rather giving us information and actually even though he had had a diagnosis before, the school psychologist actually revealed probably more information than we had gotten from the paid um, uh, diagno- diagnostician Sorry. that we had worked with. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually got more information from the school psychologist. So it was very, very helpful, very useful um, art for us. That's so good. So we, had, we had a good experience. Shelly, what are your recommendations? I really don't have anything to add. I mean, yeah, they, they covered it really well. Okay. I would like to say from a teacher standpoint for, for just for all parents, um, whether, you know, your child um, may, may need services or go through an art or a 504, um, but to forge a relationship with your child's teacher on the front end, especially at the beginning of the year, because just from a teacher standpoint, we have, you know, X number of students in our classrooms and we don't know them from, you know, anyone else. And so what happens typically is, I know for me is, you know, after a few weeks, things will begin to kind of rise to the surface. And uh, you know, what I always do is I go back and look and see, you know, just want to confirm whether there's, you know, um, if a child does have a 504, what are their accommodations or if sometimes there's nothing at all. And so, as a teacher kind of red, red flags go off like hmm something's going on here and it happens every year um and what happens is sometimes you know what 
because again, by law, teachers just for parents to know that by law, teachers are not allowed to evaluate your child because they're not diagnosticians. Secondly, if they are by law, they're accountable for if, if they say, "I think your child has autism," or "I think your child has uh, ADD." then the school's bound, the district and the school are bound by law to provide those services. Um, so, but with that said, um, if there are tendencies and things that you know um, about your child that would be insightful for the teacher to help them to manage on the front end, it, I'm telling you, as a teacher, it helps us tremendously. That sometimes I'll contact the parent and, you know, I'll just say, hey, you know, I've, just, I've observed A, B, and C. You know, I'm not saying, you know, what the source of it is, just making the observations. And then they'll say, oh, yeah, um, they um, are on medication, but they haven't taken it in a month. I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> <That's helpful>. oh <laughs> okay. Can we fix that? <laughs> right, right. Or, you know, or, um, yeah, we know that they, you know, have such and such. And, okay, it'll come from the parent. And then, so, but we have decided not to, you know, have services. Um, and so, which is, you know, they're, they're right. Uh, but th those types of insights, so anything you can share, even if it's a tendency, um, hey, we know that our child you know, may have challenges with A, B, and C. Um, and here's the things that we could recommend. I would say probably one of the best ways to forge a relationship with the district before getting into an ARD is to build a good, solid relationship with your child's teachers. Um, that would be a great um, head start because then the teacher is is um, coming in with her eyes wide open um, and we can be proactive with your child and can build on strategies even prior to um, having um, an ARD uh, that would be uh, beneficial um, going forward. So just just from a, from a teacher standpoint to all parents, um, whether they're special needs or not, um, to build those relationships with those teachers and be proactive and reach out, reach out to them and build those relationships. Cause I know I love when parents partner with me um, and I'm kind of working with them and understanding things along the way versus discovering things along the way. And I think also that's helpful because you're going into that room of 10 people, 10, 12 people, and you've got some allies already, either one or two teachers who you can, you know, look at and go, yeah, we know that this is going on or, you know, whatever, and have somebody that you can, feel like is kind of on your side, you know, that you have a relationship with. All right. I got a quiz for y'all. What are the procedural safeguards? Have you read them? What insights have you gathered from re everybody? <laughs> I wish you guys could see their faces. The face was like, <laughs> <laughs> so is that, I don't know what they just, are or I haven't read them. I just think about all the trees that have been cut down. Cause you get like a package of six every meeting. <laughs> I'm like, yes. So you I think know I'm familiar with them. It sounded familiar. Um, I do not think that I have read them. Right. I do not think I mean no, I have not. I feel like Bree's <laughs> gonna say I can quote chapter and verse of the procedural safeguards. <laughs> yes. Bree. Yeah, I do know it. I'm See, so I told sorry. you. No, don't I be sorry, to. girl. Those are your rights. <laughs> say it. Yeah, I am a victim of that. You know, after your 20th copy, you're like, okay, let's see what this is all about. And you kind of just read it and get in there and say, oh, I have this right. Let me look into this. So, yes. yeah. So let's let the, the, the uh, audience in on the joke. So this is a packet of probably 26 pages that you get with every single ARD that you have. 
and it is pretty much the same. Um, we're only guessing because only Brie has read them. Um, so they may, they may have actually changed over the years. <laughs> but so I did go ahead and read the procedural safeguards for this episode. And I just want to share a couple of things that are in here that might be interested to uh, interesting to you and to actually encourage you to read at least once the procedural safeguards. So there's the independent education evaluation, that's the IEE, that uh, has to be done at the expense of the school or at no cost to you by a qualified examiner not employed by the district if you disagree with the evaluation of the school. So basically, if your school says um, your child does not have autism, then you can say, I want to have an independent um, practitioner um, go ahead and evaluate my child and they have to um, do it either at, at no cost to you or they have to um, or, or figure it, it'll be free to you basically. And then um, this is what I thought was interesting, the discipline and su suspension procedures of a student with an IEP. So um, sometimes um, behavioral issues come along with kids that have special needs. And so um, they have put policies in place so that there is not undue suspension or removal of the kids from the school because of their disability. Um, so there needs to be a determination to see if their disability was the cause of the behavior. Um, because that's actually a thing that um, many students with disabilities end up getting suspended or expelled because there's just a misunderstanding of what's going on in their brains and what's going on in their bodies. And, and we don't ever want them to lose school because of their or lose learning because of their disability. Nicole? I was just going to say, I'm a witness. <laughs> that's a, a big, a big piece yes. of um, our ADHD is behavior management. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and, and lots of lots of suspensions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, and just as a teacher, you know, we by law have to follow the plans that have been given. And so, um, if your child is on a five hundred four or an IEP, and some things come to the surface, you have it's within your right to say, okay, did you do A, B, C, D, and E? And before we, before you moved on to whatever, you know, the consequences were. And so, and if they have not, then uh, you have a right to, to contest that, you, mm -hmm. you know, because if they're not doing, if they're not doing what they're supposed to do, their procedures and protocols need to be in place. And if they're not doing them, um, then you can be that unhappy mama. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Respectfully. And then another one is um, mediation in case of disagreement with the IEP or evaluation. So they have put a policy in place that gives you a right to say, no, I don't agree with this. And, you know, you kind of go back and forth with the school sometimes, and then you can move on to have a mediation, which is, um, uh, Brie, have you ever had a mediation? Or do you know more information about it since you've read the procedures? <laughs> I know. And this is how I found out about it because I read the procedurals. So I had an IEE. My daughter, Sasha, um, she went to the district um, diagnosed with autism. And so due to behavioral stuff, you know, how they suspend your kid, call the police, you know, she was running out of school, things of that nature. Um, then she was transferred to another school and he did his evaluation and he determined that she didn't have autism. And so that's when I had to fight for an IEE. And then they said that, well, she does have autism. 
And oh. so just reading those procedurals, I was able to go back and forth. So now it's back as her criteria. Um, in regards to the behavioral one, I know like it has to be the behavioral intervention plan. Um, I didn't know about that until I read it. And that's part of the um, IEP. So if your kid gets in trouble and you know, usually kids with ADHD, they're very active. Um, so if the kid gets in trouble and they say, hey, we're gonna suspend your kid. You know, you have the right to say, no, let's look at the BIP. Did you guys follow that? So since you didn't follow it, we can't suspend the child. But let's talk about how we can better talk to the teacher and coach her when it needs to be done. All right. We're going to yeah. um, provide Bree's email address after this. Because <laughs> <laughs> she seems to be the person to go to <laughs> with your questions. Have you guys ever heard of a parent concerns letter? Right. I hadn't either. Um, there's a portion of the IEP that um, ha is specific to what your concerns are. I was reading um, this article that was saying that you should have a parent concerns letter for every ARD or IEP meeting that you have. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I did speak to a friend that's a behavioral therapist who said she has written one for a parent that was a client. Um, but basically it's, this is what I've observed. This is what's been done. This is what's working. This is what's not working. And the purpose of this is to, because what happens in an ARD is you're expressing your concerns, but what goes into the IEP is determined by the person who's taking the notes, right? The person who's leading the IEP. But if you have the parent concerns letter, that is actually included into the IEP word for word. So it has your specific information um, versus this is what the IEP leader has typed down and interpreted what I said. Does that make sense? Yeah. So look into that to see if that's something that might be helpful for you. Um, let's see. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you said that um, that was so important, Nicole, was um, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, I recently had an IEP with um, for Jonathan, and I didn't understand most of it. <laughs> I've had a lot of IEPs. He was diagnosed three years ago with autism, and he's been in he was in speech therapy before that, so he's he's in fifth grade, fourth grade, and he's been in. Um, in a special ed or something since he was in kindergarten. And I really was clueless. And fortunately, what I did was I had a friend who's a behavioral therapist attend this because she knows him, she's worked with him before. And I literally had to go, I don't know what you're talking about. And Rondi, what do you think? Rondi was my friend that that's the behavioral therapist. So don't be, don't be afraid to say, I don't understand what you guys are saying. Please repeat yourself or please rephrase what you're saying. Um, and I would say also, um, <laughs> Brie, I think you said this. Um, one of the articles I read was um, said, don't accept the Jiffy Lube version of the IE pre process, <laughs> which was basically, you go in there, we've already got something planned for you or here, signed at the dotted line. And Nicole even said, you know, she had a list of 20 things. And what would have been said, what would have been done if she didn't come in with with those things so and the, honestly the same thing happened to me we um I had a Jiffy Lube art experience and um they were about to tell me to sign on the dotted line and I said um 
but I sent you guys ahead of time a list of all of the the things that I thought would be helpful for my child. Are we going to discuss those? And they were like, oh, and so the art leader went and looked through the paperwork and found my information. And a lot of those things that I had suggested were the things that they put in place that made him do a 180 and changed everything we were seeing. And he had a great year from then on. So don't afraid to be um, mama bear in these meetings and, um, and don't be intimidated. And then I would say the other thing is don't be, a, don't be afraid to say, um, I'm not happy with this. And um, we need to reconvene another day. Has anybody ever done that? Done that? Have you ever not signed the IEP? I think Bree, you said that. Yeah, I, um, if it's not right, I don't sign it. And then they'll just send you um, the updates and the changes. And then everyone just signs it virtually. So you've not signed it because you did, you needed to do more research or you needed, you didn't understand or. Um, more research. I didn't understand what they were talking about, um, why it was an issue and just to get better understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shelly, has it, has you ever experienced that where you, you just were not comfortable with signing on the dotted line at the end? Um, no, no, but I have experienced, um, amendments to like where I've talked to the diagnostician and say, Hey, I'm not okay with, um, like for, for one thing, uh, what, what David was saying about, you know, making sure that your teacher knows your child at the very beginning of the school year. Um, I would add that goes for electives too when they get in middle school and high school because sometimes the teacher gives them bad grades. Mm-hmm. And um, so when my daughter was failing choir and we were struggling mm-hmm. with core classes and I'm like, no, we're not doing this. And, and I had to several times just be very clear because I am such a people person, people pleaser, I mean, <laughs> recovering people pleaser, that I had <laughs> I like to be that. very clear about what I want to the point where I had to talk to the diagnostician and the choir teacher and say, you will make an amendment that says, my daughter gets a participation grade. Mm. She has to, and because she she's doesn't have any behavior problems, but with if we're struggling with core classes, I'm not happy with a 13 mm. if she doesn't know how to read music all of a sudden, mm. and she's asked to do that. So, yeah, just be sure you include the electives and and don't be afraid to to add an amendment and be very clear, because um, I went into it too nice. And always be respectful, of course. Of course. And this was her first year um, as a teacher. And I, I know that she was being very serious about it. And now now we're great. Now, uh, because we, we went through it respectfully, but finally I just had to say, this is what I want added to her IEP as an amendment. And um, and it was done. What what happens when something isn't working? What's, what is the process for you know, you see, okay, we've got an IEP in place, stuff isn't working, what's the process? What do I do when I realize I need something to change? Um, my first um, contact is with diagnostician, because she's, uh, I believe, the one that, you know, coordinates the IEP, coordinates the ARD, is in contact with all the um, teachers. Um, if it's something minor, I might just go to that teacher. But um, if it's something that I, like, amendment I felt like there needs to be an amendment and um, I go straight to the diagnostician if it's a big deal I didn't think elective would was a big deal but it was 
enough to, to make an amendment, but not ma to make an ARD, but definitely call an ARD if um, with a diagnostician. Yeah. So it's not necessary for every time there's a change to the IEP that mm -hmm. there has to be an ARD. I don't think so. Okay. Everybody else. And, you know, it's so difficult because every school district and every school within a school district functions a little bit differently. So you really have to kind of pay attention to the rules of the school district and, you know, and kind of also, you know, I think to Shelly's point, find a school district that meets the needs. You know, my son was initially going to a private school and we had to make the choice, which was so difficult to remove him from the private school because they did not have the resources to be able to meet his needs and put him at a charter school that did have the resources. And so, um, you know, you really have to find that, that school system that works with you and that school that works with you and your kids and understand what the, what the um, guidance is there at that school and what the rules are for that school. Nicole, did you have an IEP at your private school? Because I know that special ed services are not guaranteed at private schools. Right. And no, they did not have those um, resources available. Again, another story for another time. <laughs> but that was um, very much a um, situation gone bad where, you know, we we knew he had already had a... Um, a diagnose, an ADHD diagnosis at three years old. And so, um, and he had been at the same school since he was two years old. So, um, but it, it, when it came to kindergarten, um, they just did not have, they were not willing to work with us at the level that they had worked with us at the early childhood level and to be able to, um, and they just didn't have the resources there. Mm -hmm. There was not a school counselor available. There was not a school psychologist. You know, those, those resources just weren't there. So um, there just wasn't anything in place to be able to, to provide the assistance that we needed. Sure. And Nicole, you're, you're very right. It does depend on the school because um, we recently were doing um, STAR state testing for Jonathan and the teacher, the diagnostician called me and she said, okay, we need to have an emergency ARD because Jonathan took the entire day to do star <laughs> and he's got a, He's got um, the next star coming up later on this week. And we need to put in place um, something into his IEP to give him extra time. So they actually called an ARD for that reason. And I was very appreciative of that, that they were like, okay, this is something he needs. We recognize this. We're going to tell mom and ask her if we can do this. So it really, it really is on a case by case basis based on your school. Yeah, I, I want to encourage uh, parents to uh, find out what once you find out what is available. Also, to ask specifically, like your teachers, what are they doing to you know the the, the keyword in education we hear it all the time is we differentiate. In other words, that the the role of the educator is to teach to every single student in the room not fit every student into how they teach mm -hmm. and that means that the teacher has to flex because um, sometimes what happens is you know we as teachers we like order and when things are not looking the way we would like them to look um, that that can bring challenges and that's where kind of sometimes the back and forth comes with teachers and students 
where and you know as you know many of you or most of you know that I have ADD and that really set me free to change a whole lot of how I set up my classrooms now and you know I've talked about it before now I have gaming chairs in my room um, I have standing desks I have you can lay on the floor um, I don't care because I mean, as long as you know we're not disrupting with learning because sometimes an issue is if a child just needs to stand up let let you know I'm kind of mending here kind of for myself here but as well but just if they need to st- let, let the child stand up don't you know if standing up is going to not lead to an argument and they just need some some ability because every child can't sit still and that's okay every child may need an opportunity to you know let you know find out find out uh how is your child collaborating with other students because those kids that need a, a space to speak they need an opportunity to say something but if they're having it in constructive ways that can deal with some of the issues and so what i'm saying is to ask your teachers not you know again respectfully of course but ask your teachers you know how and this is for every parent um whether they're you know sped 504 or not is you know um how do you differentiate instruction how do you change things up to meet the needs of um all learners in the room so you can get a better understanding of kind of where your teachers are coming from and then once you hear that then you can say "Mm, you know let me add some insight that may help you with my child um again to again to partner with them because every teacher some teachers are um hard gluteus maximuses is that a word (laughs) if it's not i just made one (laughs) a phrase yes (laughs) yes we you know we are a family show uh but um (laughs) And some are flexible and, you know, so every teacher is different. And, and, uh, you know, son, and so I, I'm just saying that to encourage all parents to partner with your teachers, find out their teaching style, their teaching philosophy. And if there's things that you can see ahead of time coming around the curve that may benefit, um, to add that insight and to ensure that if there is something in place that, then I try to make your child fit the mold of the rest of the students because your child is is made um, uniquely, and they need to teach to your child, not your child conform to what they want them to be for the classroom. Amen. Several of you have mentioned that you have switched schools, and you had an IEP in place or did not. What do you recommend to parents who are switching schools? I had a conversation with um, one of our students' moms who said, well, she was getting services at the other school, but I don't think she has an IEP now. And I said, I think she does, but you need to find out what's happening with the IEP because they, they're supposed to follow the student from one school to the next. So what's, what's your recommendation to make sure that there's not a disruption in services? Uh, when my kids switched schools, um, Sasha, she went to, that's the one with autism. She's been through three different schools, but that was all guided through the district. That was a trial and error saying, hey, this school isn't equipped for her. And they moved her to another school and it was like, okay, we're not equipped for her either. And they moved her to the third school. So I didn't really have any issues uh, with the IEP following her. And I don't know if that's because the district was, you know, moving her around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, but I, I assume it follows your, your, child, I mean, your child. Yeah, I think within the district. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, a little bit different if they're going from one district to another. And I think that's just kind of where as a parent, you have to 
kind of step in. Um, you know, I'll just say long before we had IEPs, because, you know, like I said, we, we were dealing with this when Nicholas was three years old, which was long before IEPs and 504s and any of that even exists in educational world, but he was going to a school nine hours a day, every day. So um, it was necessary for us to have something. So we literally took a psychologist diagnosis into the school. Every single year we sat down and made sure that the teacher understood these were the things that were going on. And, I, and it just kind of goes back to being the advocate. I think everything lives and dies on the parent being the voice for their kids because mm -hmm. the kids don't have the ability to be a, be a voice for themselves. So they have to have someone who is coming in and telling their story. Not, you know, everyone doesn't have to know every detail of their background, but helping the people that are impacting them to know the things that are going on. So you're, you know, teacher, you're seeing these things on the outside, but that's because there's a whole bunch of stuff that you don't see that's going on on the inside and, and helping to tell that story. And so whether, you know, you move from one district to another, you want to just continue to, to make sure that that story is known. Sure. Um, and in our situation, we were at a charter school. This was before Jonathan was diagnosed and uh, I had been trying to get him into an ARD meeting uh, for a while because we were having all sorts of issues, but we didn't know what it was. He was having problems with reading. He was really behind and crawling under chairs and, and stepping on people's glasses by mistake and <laughs> all sorts of issues. And they kind of hemmed and hawed and took forever and didn't end up getting us into an ARD until almost the end of the year. And it was because I forced their hand. And what ended up happening was, at least in my opinion, is they kind of forced the issue of diagnosing him and they diagnosed him with specific reading disorder or specific learning disorder in the area of reading. And uh, that was kind of it. That was like April. And then when we went and moved to the ISD that we're in now, um, they said, well, do you have an IEP? And, and I was like, yes. And it, there was just nothing, there was no plan done. It was just, this is what's wrong with him and good luck. <laughs> I think they thought we were going to be returning in the fall and they would just kind of pick up the mess or pick up the pieces when we came back. And so our um, school district was actually very upset because there was just nothing in place. And so I, to the credit of the diagnostician, she said, look, as a mom, I would say start over. I would write a letter of concern to the counselor here and tell them. And by that time we had gotten him diagnosed with um, autism. And um, she said, write a letter of concern to the counselor and say, start over, which is exactly what they did. They ended up having to evaluate them, him, him, him themselves. And we just started the process over. So um, it can, it can be a sticky wicket, but to y'all's point, you've got to just make sure that you advocate for your child uh, and just make sure that the, the things fall into place that need to be, that uh, need to be taken care of. Um, I would also just encourage, you know, maybe for parents or families who cannot uh, maybe switch out schools and maybe they're in a situation where, you know, you are where you are and maybe things are not working out the way that you would like them to, um, one is to do your research to see what's available out there. Um, also find out maybe about about um, about advocates. 
Um, there are art advocates that can uh, work on their behalf as well. Um, but also, don't let, and, and I'm saying this as you know, touch as I can because I'm educated as well, but just to don't let them off the hook because they don't want to or have not in the past accommodated um, these sets of challenges. Because again, by law, by federal law, they have to. And so if you're not satisfied with what you're seeing and if you're not able to switch out situations or if you just, you know, that here we are um, to to respectfully um, but firmly stand your ground and have them to adjust. Um, I know with our son, he's twice gifted. Um, so, you know, with, you know, he, you know, he has you know, autism and um, he's gifted and talented. And they have never, I believe, in the history of the they never had a child with both of those categories. With twice exceptional, right? Yeah, oh, yeah twice, right? Yeah, twice mm -hmm. exceptional, um, and so they didn't know what to do with them. They got to deal with it. I mean, because this is it is what it is. And if we had not again, but if we had not advocated for the gifted and talented evaluations to keep pressing beyond just with the standard district one, uh, we never would have known officially but we knew because we're you know his his parent and so we just you know we saw him he's probably gonna you know cure cancer one day and you know for and, sure and uh you know wipe out corona by next week you know <laughs> but but just the point is that or he'll be elon musk just yeah. found out that elon <laughs> musk has asperger's he hosted snl over the weekend yes yes i don't know i was fascinated by that okay Th thank you okay <laughs> <laughs> um but but just that um well, just because they've never dealt with it, that mean that doesn't mean that they're not supposed to, because that's their job. That's what they're called to do. And so, I just want to encourage you to, again, as all the moms are saying here, just advocate for your child, um, because um, if these are the needs of your child and they have a right to receive these services and support, then they're going to have to adjust. And you know, if you know, if you can move and it's better for you, then you know, by all means, you know, you have to do what's best for your family. But if you're there and you know, you're going to be staying there. Keep on advocating. Keep on pressing. Keep on standing your ground um, firmly, respectfully, partnering with them, um, but ensuring that you're getting what your child needs because it's your child's education. And once they move on, you know, you're raising your child. You have to do what's best for your child. And you briefly brought up um, using an advocate. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I wanted to say that that is something that you have a right to do. You can bring somebody into your meeting that has um, specific information about your child has either worked with your child or been around your child a lot. Um, and they can come to the meeting, which will be a little less stressful for you and help you to advocate for um, your child. So that can be your spouse, that can be your best friend, if they have specific information about your, um, your child, your sister, um, anyone that can, um, can speak to the situation of your child can come to that meeting um, and that is your right to do that. I'm going to put us out there on a limb. Love you, dear. Um, if you need help um, <laughs> finding, like, if you don't know where to start, um, reach out to us and we can at least maybe point you in the right direction. Um, my wife's looking at me like, are you serious? For what? what are you talking about? <laughs> well, just, I mean, people may not know where to go to find an art advocate. Oh, no. yes. And we'll, we're, that's actually something that we'll mention at the end of the show. We have a, pro, a service for that. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask is 
for parents, some of the, sometimes um, the special ed program can come with a stigma and they may not want their children to be in this program. Like you mentioned, Nicole, when you first started, you didn't want Nicholas to have a label. What would you say to those parents? I would say do your research and really understand what special education means and what the, the um, benefits and offerings are to your child. Um, in particular, if your child has um, you know, behavioral issues and, and, and maybe that's why they're wanting to do a special education evaluation and you're kind of feeling like, okay, that doesn't make sense. You know, do some um, research to really understand what things would be available to the student um, with, with the special education um, piece versus what would not be available to the student. And, um, you know, just do, just do that research. I know things probably vary state by state and I know we've got thing, got folks listening all over. So we're all kind of in the same state here, but, um, you know, just do your research to really understand what the offerings would be. Sure. Anyone else? Um, before I had my kids, I didn't have any experience with special education, and I didn't even know anyone in special education. I know nothing about special education, but only the stigma that, you know, that does follow the word special education. But with me, um, it's like the maternal instincts kick in, and you want to do whatever needs to be done for your child. So mm -hmm. at the point where they brought it to my attention, I no longer saw special education as a stigma. I saw it as another means for my kids to move forward in a way that, you know, they could be productive. So I think at some point when you finally realize what's going on, you no longer see it as the stigma that it is. And I think just having a better understanding of your child's challenge might help that because kids that are in special education are not dumb. And I think that that might be where some of the stigma comes from. They're actually exceptional. I got to say, when, when Jonathan was diagnosed with autism, I was sad at first but then just learning about it and really just watching my child, I really feel like it's a superpower. Uh, I was I was talking to Nicole the other day. I think it was you, Nicole. <laughs> Nicole and I have been friends since we were 17. But just, you know, Jonathan is so regimented. You should see him make a bed. Like, <laughs> he's going to be very impressive one day. Like uh, there's so many things that are great about kids with special needs and make them um, just, just like, I, like I just said, Elon Musk, he's sending people, regular citizens to space because he has this, this quote disability. He's got autism, but I think maybe just having a better understanding, maybe an appreciation for some of the beauty that, um, surrounds some of our kids' differences might help um, to um, help parents see special education a little bit differently. Um, and and I agree. Uh, de definitely, uh, there's something amazing and special to this. Um, but I, I would just like to tell the moms out there, especially um, new to this process, it's okay to, to grieve um, normal. Um, I mean, this is not what I expected at all. Um, with my family and I had to just grieve, but nobody was there to, to tell me that I could do that and that was okay. And God just had to take me on this journey of uh, what my family's, you know, 
could look like and how this is just work on that acceptance and work on um, just uh, being grateful to, to what you can see and um, to, to what they are bringing to your family. I know um, Paxton's brought a lot of uh, compassion and patience um, to his siblings and to, to us. Um, and so those are all uh, gifts that he brings and just joy and just smiling and laughing. Um, and those are, you know, things that we uh, don't always see um, in the midst of the, of, um, the hard times and the challenges. Yeah, that's good. Um, lastly, what resources have been helpful to you in advocating for your child? Other than the procedural things for Brie, <laughs> that booklet. <laughs> I would say, and I don't know if we're, do we mention specific things here? Specific resources? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So there is a, um, a magazine called Attitude, A-D-D-I-T-U-D-E. Um, that probably has been one of my best resources, um, the articles and webinars and things like that that are available that just talk about ADHD, um, help me to understand ADHD is more than a kid being hyper. ADHD is more than, you know, the, some of the things that we have learned and understood about ADHD and ADD. Um, and in particular for parents who are really seeing your kids act out, explosive anger, explosive behavior, um, explosive language um, to parents, hitting adults, talking back to adults, that, those kinds of things. Um, some of those things can be related to ADHD and you don't know it and you associate your kid as, you know, a certain way, you know, bad kid or whatever the thing it may be mm -hmm. and not realizing that, that, um, it's related to those. And so that, that resource has been huge for me in understanding ADHD and then understanding how to work, um, through those neurological differences to best help our son. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a situation uh, about a year into the district that I'm currently at that I just had some questions about if my son had enough resources um, and I was put in contact with, um, it's called Partners Resource Network and uh, I'm going to get through the phone, but um, anyway, that has also a lot of acronyms. So I had to like <laughs> say, what is this that I, I get? But anyway, what it was is a 501c3 organization um, that partners with parents um, to go over their ARDS or IEPs. I mean, you, um, so I talked to the regional coordinator and I was just, and he, he was familiar with my particular school district. Um, and he was able to just reassure me that um, it wasn't uh, the amount of aids or resources that I was wanting, that, but the experience and that I was in a, a really good um, district and um, kind of talked me through some resources. I still get their monthly emails um, three years later. I have a ton of webinars and workshops that you can go through, but it's called um, Partners um, Resource Network. Um, and like I said, there, it goes through regions. So they are familiar with your school, but they are an advocate for the parents. So, so they're not biased mm -hmm. for the school. That's good. Um, it's in the safeguard. Um, I don't <laughs> remember 
food section, but it's a resource that I use and it's my region also. And then they were like a major part in me knowing like I can do like a level three grievance if I disagree with the district and I can change schools and all these things. And that was in the safeguard and I just use the, it's a website. I don't know the name of it, uh, but it's in the safeguard and uh, you just Google it and it's there and it gives you everything you need. And they've been very resourceful for me. We are going to post a link to the safeguards on our website, along with these other resources that you guys have said. And I would also say um, Facebook groups. Um, you got to be careful because some of them may not be for you. <laughs> but there's all sorts of Facebook groups with parents who have kids that are just like yours. And they can provide so much information and wisdom um, to just kind of help you along in your journey. So that's just another one. And then a, a website called understood. Is it understood.org or understood.com? I believe.org. Okay. I think so too. Um, that doesn't work. Just put in.com. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we'll have a link to that on our website, but um, just so yeah. much information about um, different disabilities and um, different things that you can do. And it's, it's just a very helpful website. Oh, another one I want to add is also just go to your, you know, to mm -hmm. your schools or local districts website. Now, a lot of times, though, you have to dig. Um, there's so much stuff embedded deep <laughs> into the websites. But if you can find them, there's a lot of great stuff. So, for example, just last week, I was looking at the Texas Education Agency, which is a governing body for the entire state of Texas for you know, all public schools um, and charter schools. Um, on gifted and talented, which is under the special education category. Oh, that's a good point. And um, what I saw is for there are over 15 different gifted and talented evaluations that a school can give, can give. Um, I was like, and I was just scrolling. So I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And this is a, a resource given by the state. And so, you know, again, you know, we, we were kind of hip to it actually because of our because earlier of our because, of, because of our own podcast mm -hmm. um but um go to your local states um the governing bodies website and find out what is out there for for you as parents because there's a lot of good stuff it's just hidden and and they're not gonna you know uh you know just publicly advertise it but it is out there and once you find it then you can add that to your arsenal of stuff to give as well um i would also encourage you to look into if you have older students um to uh look look at the process when you get to middle school high school um mm. because things do change there um and whether you accept services or not and the implications of that so i want to encourage you to look into that and also for um state exams and also for um i will say this um that you really want to make sure that the accommodations that are put in place are being reinforced throughout the entire year. Mm -hmm. uh, because when it comes time for the set exams, if they have not been reinforced throughout the entire year by the teacher, um, that they may not necessarily use them on the exam, even though it may have been, they may have supposed to have done it. So just kind of be aware of that. And also for SATs and ACTs as well, um, that the accommodations that are, um, that you can have in place there as well. And so, um, I know I just threw a lot out there uh, for you guys, uh, but just want you to be aware that there's a lot of stuff out there, um, and and you have to do some research because it's not always just going to be thrown at you. Um, but if you dig and and put in the time, um, you will build a foundation that you can use to 
um, better advocate for your child and make sure the child is getting the best education possible. Very good tips. And yeah, don't just go to your district's website. Go to the websites of uh, many different districts because sometimes they have incredible resources and checklists and things that are very, very helpful uh, because they really want parents to succeed. So the information is out there. All right. Um, any last words for these parents who are new to SPED? Anything that you wish somebody had told you before you, uh, when you were embarking upon this journey? I'd just say um, have grace for yourself and uh, for the teachers, for every everyone involved. Um, you will make mistakes and it's okay. You'll learn and um, just uh, work on it. It's, it's easy to love our kids, um, but let's just, you know, make sure that we accept them for all of their differences. They're, they may not be like you, they, you know, and uh, it may not be what you imagine parenting would be, but that doesn't mean that there's collateral beauty um, that, um, that comes with special ed and, and, and all of that. Yeah. What I've seen is that there hasn't been a lot of formal adjustment to the virtual learning environment. And you want to make sure that your child's needs are being met even virtually as well. And so I just wanted to add that as, a, as an insight because this year is not like a, a typical year. And who knows what's going to happen going forward um, with schools kind of making the option of either coming back on campus and doing online, you know, um, you know, online learning as well as not possibly being a permanent part of how we learn going forward. So you want to make sure that if your child is at home uh, for the rest of this year, even though it's not much time left or heading into the next school year, that if in virtual instruction is involved, that you want to make sure that they are making the necessary adjustments. And if they don't know, partner with them, say, let's find out together, let's discover. But virtual learning should not be a reason to have your child go through things unnecessarily or suffer because of that. And so we're all learning together, uh, but want to partner with your schools and with um, you know everyone on the team there to make sure that that's happening as well. All right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you, ladies, so much for uh, providing your insight and wisdom um, about your journey and and providing uh, such a good resources for these parents. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So Noggin Educational Foundation is the premier sponsor of School Days. So we always want to let you know, we always want to let you guys know what's happening with Noggin. We're currently taking applications for two of our programs. Noggin offers 12 hours of free private tutoring to students through our educational coaching program. Also through our ARD advocacy program, this is what you were talking about earlier, David, parents receive support in securing services for their kids that need, um, that, uh, that for their kids in need for learning disabilities and special needs. And with the closure of schools and distance learning, the education gap for low-income students has widened and the one-on-one intervention we provide is vital. See our website, nogginfoundation.org or email me at danita at nogginfoundation.org. That's D-O-N-E-D-A for more details. Mark your calendars for our May new episode drop dates. Um, We just got one more, I guess. On May 26th, we'll drop episode number 91 about college admissions. We've invited Dr. Shamassian from Shamassian 
academic consulting who is an expert in advising parents and students on taking the steps necessary to get into college. So make sure you subscribe to School Days Help for Moms and Dads of School-Age Kids on any podcast platform so you don't miss any of our new episodes this month. As always, head to our website, schooldazedshow.com, for more information about all that we're doing and the resources we've mentioned on School Days. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Audible, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And last but not least, David and I always want to end this show by saying that we are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, please feel free to email us at info at school dazedshow.com. Have a great week and stay safe. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Dazed is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.